This is episode number 868 with Academy Award winning and New York Times best-selling author, Brian Grazer. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Martin Luther King Jr. said, whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of reality. Welcome to this episode. I'm so happy that you are here because you are about to learn some powerful stories, some powerful techniques to help you master the art of human connection, to learn how to connect with other people, no matter where you're from, what type of experience, what type of education you have, how well you had it off as a kid, how much money your parents had or how little they had. It doesn't matter who you are. The art of human connection is something that I have learned to study my entire life. As a young kid, I felt like I had zero friends. I felt super alone. I felt very insecure. And I really didn't think I would ever have friends. Then I started to study the art of human connection myself as a very young kid. And Brian has mastered this. If you don't know who Brian is, he's an Academy Award, Golden Globe, Emmy, and Grammy Award-winning producer, New York Times bestselling author, and named one of Time Magazine's 100 most influential people in the world. Yeah, he's that inspiring. His films and TV shows have been nominated for 43 Oscars, 195 enemies, and he won the Best Picture Oscar for A Beautiful Mind. He co-founded Imagine Entertainment in 1986 with longtime friend Ron Howard. The films they produce have grossed over $13 billion, and his newest book, Face to Face, The Art of Human Connection, is out right now, and I highly recommend you get it. And in this interview, we talk about Brian's greatest lessons he learned in producing some of the biggest hits in Hollywood, how Brian built his self-confidence through unlikely odds in high school and college, the importance of looking people in the eye and being present, the inspiration behind his new book. A lot of people don't feel comfortable looking others in the eye, and we talk about how to do this. What happens when you actually face your fears? How to take advantage of what makes you unique to stand out in any industry? And so many more powerful stories from some of the biggest actors he worked with in the world and other case studies that I think you're going to really enjoy. I am so excited about this. For me, this has been the skill set that has differentiated me from the rest of people in my space and in my industry is the ability to connect, is the ability to listen, is the ability to do the things that Brian's talking about here. He just does a much better job in explaining how he's done it and how he's created it in his book. So I really hope you get value out of this. Make sure to share it with one friend and ask a friend to connect with you and reflect on this episode as well. Say, hey, let's go over some of this stuff together. Let's talk about this. Let's grow and become better people together. Just send them the link, lewishouse.com slash 868, or copy and paste the link in the podcast app on Apple Podcast or Spotify or wherever you are listening to this right now and have an accountability partner or be a champion to someone 
in your life, someone you care about, send them this link so you guys can both grow together. I don't know about you, but when around 3 p.m. hits, I find myself craving the right refreshment to get me through that mid-afternoon slump. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea is full-flavored sweet tea, but without the sugar and the calories. It might take several bottles for you to believe that a delicious sweet tea can really have zero sugar and zero calories. But you know what they say, life is full of surprises. Or in this case, full of flavor. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea. Try it to believe it. For 20% off your next 12 pack head to amazon and use promo code 20 pure leaf that's promo code 20 p-u-r-e-l-e-a-f for 20 percent off We've all been there. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone if you only had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, quick math. The less your business depends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep, obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite and you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks weeks, head to netsuite.com slash greatness, netsuite.com slash greatness. Again, head to netsuite.com slash greatness. And I'm excited to bring you the one and only Brian Grazer. Welcome back everyone to the School of Greatness podcast. We've got the legendary producer Brian Grazer in the house. Good to see you, man. Thanks Thank for you. being here. I was just, mm. I was just talking about when you walked in here that, uh, you did three movies with Jim Carrey, and I said I have a painting, an original yeah. painting of Jim Carrey, because I saw a video of his a couple of years ago of him doing his painting that really inspired me because I didn't know he was a creative on that side of things as well. And I was curious, what was it like, because all the movies you did with him were huge hits, but what was it like working with him as a creative? Well, he's really brilliant, so he, you don't have to, he doesn't need much direction. Uh-huh. He kind of knows what he's gonna do. He can improve upon what he's doing, but he can almost just self-improve. I mean, directors are imperative for staging and everything else, but he, he's pretty self-aware of what he's doing. So he's incredibly gifted, and I had three movies that were very successful, but each time I felt like, I don't know if I could do this again, because he's, <laughs> he's very intense and, and kind of challenging. But I think the first one was Liar, Liar. It was which was really successful, legendary comedy. And then the second one was How the Grinch Sold Christmas. Everyone watches every year. And the third one, which I, again, when I thought, I just, this is so hard, I don't know if I could do this, we did was called Fun with Dick and Jane. 
and it made $100 million, which was a threshold number, but I don't think we liked it very much. Really? Yeah. But on The Grinch, it was very interesting because he was the most perfect guy for it. And in fact, the Sousa State, which was represented by Audrey Geisel, the widow widow of uh, Theodore Geisel, said the only way I could have the rights is if I do it with Jim Carrey. No way. Yeah. And so I said, (laughs) well, that's had to do it. (laughs) So I kind of had to, but I wanted to anyways. Right, right. So that was fine, but but he had to, he had to encase himself in a prosthetic so that all of his pores were essentially sealed off. And it took five and a half hours to put on his hair and makeup and everything else and face. And the final straw that just made it unbearable for him was, was that was further suffocating to him were these huge contact lenses the size of Frisbees almost, you know, they were on huge. Him. In his eyes, oh my and he gosh. would go crazy. And he eventually said, "It was a week before we were shooting. He's laying down, getting his prosthetics put all put on his, uh, you know, uh, epoxy all over his body. He says, 'I'm, I have to quit. I'm quitting.' Oh my gosh! And so Ron and I go, "Well, you can't quit. We're starting next week." And he said, I, "I'm going to quit. I'm going to pay you back the money. I'm going to pay Shut you up. back." The bonus and the money and the interest, I can't take it any longer. And he got a big check for that. He got, well, he got a $20 million check plus a bonus, plus at this point he'd received it, so it was interest on the money. He said, I can't take it any longer, I've, I quit. And I tried along the way for the, last, for the previous couple of weeks to like, you know, I got Don Rickles to come to the set. I got people to come to the set that he admired. That, that would entertain him, you know, keep him <laughs> off of the pain that he was suffering, you know, suffering from. So none of that worked. So now it's like, again, I said Thursday and he's gonna quit. I said, look, would you meet somebody Friday and, and through the weekend and if Monday you wanna quit, you can quit. Mm. And what had happened is because I had this discipline of doing curiosity conversations once a week with experts that were renowned for doing something that other people weren't succeeding at. It could be architecture, mm-hmm. it could be uh, science, medicine, politics, religion, government situation, you know, anything to do with government. But I'd also met a guy that was that taught soldiers, CIA, FBI, and soldiers themselves, black ops, how to survive torture if they're being tortured. Because I, and it fascinated me, just like how do people survive torture? And I thought, well, t- uh, there was this guy um, who lived, you know, of course, right outside Langley, Virginia, uh-huh. where the CIA is. And I, I said, would you, I called him up and I said, would you meet Jim Carrey and spend a weekend? I'll pay for you to do that, to fly out, spend a weekend with him. Because he feels as though he's being tortured. Right. Like, a, a, that's so extreme. That Monday. He, he would give away the money. He'd give yeah. back the money, yeah. Monday comes and Jim says, okay, I can make it. I can do it. Really? And he made the whole movie. Because he, this guy, Dick, his name is Dick, Richard. And Dick said, uh, turned him on to certain mechanisms that he could put into place and issue himself when he felt tortured. And that would <laughs> alleviate the torture and, and right. stabilize him. And so he would institute these 
methods upon himself, Jim. Every day. Every day, constantly throughout the day, unpredictably through the day, to get wow. through each day. And, it, it was, and the movie was hugely successful and, and is a perennial and has generated over a long term, I think the most amount of money, I think, of all my movies. Really? Well, over the long term. Right, I mean, over the long term. Yeah, I mean, the, of course, The Da Vinci Code was really huge, and some of these in, inexpensive movies, in, Liar Liar was inexpensive, and so therefore I really Probably made a lot of money. Yeah. Or even 8 Mile was very, was quite inexpensive and profited quite a bit. So, But The Grinch, but the Grinch keep just keeps going year. and going. And my closest friend, Bob Iger, who's CEO of Disney, said, I'm buying, I'm buying The Grinch for 10 years. And I thought, wow, and we got a really big check for that. And I thought, this is so lucky. But then it, the 10 years expired, and it, I, they've continued to do that. They bought, bought it again. Yeah. It's amazing. It's pretty phenomenal. Yeah. You're doing incredible. <laughs> so anyway, what so was that's the-, the story of the Grinch and Jim Carrey. I want to take a quick moment from this podcast with Brian and talk about Paul Frederick. Now, Paul Frederick has been making dress shirts for over 30 years. And those shirts are pretty darn good looking. I'm telling you, you look so sharp as a guy putting one of these shirts on. They have so many different styles with a little bit more personality than your normal dress shirt. And their collection of non-iron contrast trim lets you play it subtle or be a little more bold. So you can get a distinctive look with a better fit, whether you're casual at work or you want to dress it up a little bit more. And that's what I really like about Paul Frederick. They believe that when you wear a new color or something a little different, it lifts your spirits. It helps you create more attention when those face-to-face relationships that you're trying to build. It helps you really cultivate who you are. And people notice, and that feels good. Make sure to visit paulfrederick.com greatness to follow to receive $50 off any shirt. I'm telling you, these are some of the sharpest looking shirts out there. If you go to Paul Frederick, that's F-R-E-D-R-I-C-K.com slash greatness, you get 50 bucks off any shirt. Again, check it out right now and wear something a little different that helps lift your spirit and create a deeper connection. Check it out, paulfrederick.com slash greatness. A big thank you to our sponsor, Thinkific. Now, Thinkific is the best place to create, market, and sell your idea and package it into an online course. I've been using Thinkific for four, five, maybe six years now. All of my courses, my ongoing continuing education platform and membership, my mastermind, everything where I have premium content with my ideas, my intellectual property, I put it on Thinkific and I share it with the world. If you're sharing or want to share your expertise with more people, you can package that into an online course. It's super easy to scale your business and make an impact. And whether you've already got a book or a blog or you're training people in a one-on-one coaching type of way, it's time to build an online course in order to reach a wider audience, build more revenue, and make a bigger impact. And I've looked into a lot of different platforms, and there's none that do as good a job as Think. I can't recommend this high enough, guys. It's super easy. They have the best support. They're so friendly. And they really stand out from the other platforms that do courses. And I know from experience, you might not know where to start on doing this. The technology might seem overwhelming, but this is super easy. And Thinkific's put together an exclusive offer for you right now. 
you can get started with their free plan at thinkific.com slash greatness and get more than $300 worth of additional training at no cost. You'll get all the tools to start building your course, plus you'll learn step-by-step how to refine your topic, outline your content, and start selling your course to the world. You can get it all today for free at thinkific.com slash greatness, T-H-I-N-K-I-F-I-C dot com slash greatness. And now, let's get back into this interview with Brian Grazer. What was the techniques or any of the practices that he taught him on how to deal with those torturous feelings um, well, for an hour or two or 10 hours or days? Yeah. I don't really want to go through all those, quite sure. frankly, but a couple of them were just bands, you know, bands that had sharp, some sharp, like a, like a, a spike in them, and he'd pull the band and it would distract, it would, be, it would inflict pain upon his, you know, right above his wrist or, a, or under his armpit. And then uh, that would distract the pain, or, or it would relocate uh, feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. What was the movie you worked on that you learned the most about yourself? Eight Mile. Really? Well, Splash first. Because with Splash, for six years, I'd written the story, I wrote the script for Splash, but the script wasn't particularly good, I got great writers to write it. Lowell Jansen, Bob Lou Mantel. But so you wrote a draft and they kind of helped flesh it out more. I wrote two, two drafts. Yeah. But I'm, I'm good at writing scenes, but not dialogue. <laughs> because the dialogue, well, first of all, it's a tremendous, to leave it, it's a skill. Yeah. And, and Lowell and Bob Lou are expert at that. They wrote also Night Shift and they worked on like six or seven of movies that I produced. Mm-hmm. And they even worked on some Jim Carrey movies. Wow. Did some rewrites on uh, The Grinch and on Liar Liar. Wow. So they were my go-to guys. But anyway, so on the movie Splash after the six, I finally get Splash made, the mermaid movie. But I knew it was much more than a mermaid movie. It was a love story. Mm-hmm. And it was a heightened love story because I, it, it was... A, it was essentially it was about me trying to find love in the city of Los Angeles, which I found would be impossible. So I would ask in writing, I asked, I assault a question repeatedly over and over again to, to, you know, like why do I need to fall in love? And then I have a reason for why I want to fall in love. And then where would that? How how would I find love? And what does love do? You know, we just continue to ask these questions. And when you continually answer these questions that essentially are the heartbeat thesis of, in this case, this romantic comedy, Mm -hmm. you start creating scenes out of that. Sure. Okay. At some point I thought, I have to make the girl even more unattainable, like in the third act. I have to accelerate our third act and make it so so the scenes are not repetitive. And I thought it would also be interesting to make it a fantasy. And so I was able to achieve, achieve a lot by making her a mermaid. It made her unattainable. Right. It gave a woman power. Cause I, and like, you see that the girl has power. She's a, like, when she jumps in the ocean, we sort of cut these scenes, but she's able to shoot out. We shot her out of a cannon out in the ocean. Wow. In, in, the, in, uh, in the Bahamas. It showed that she could leap in the air and swim underwater and do things, you know, with power and, and agility. And so that was a great trait. So it was unattainability, 
a fantasy because mermaids are always have a fantasy dimension. Sure. They're always thought it was pretty. They're mythic. And she had power. And I eventually get a maid. And I have John Candy's in it. He's really funny, super funny. And Tom is great. And Daryl. And so I, I started to think to myself, I started to assault the success of the movie. Similarly, I said, I started asking people, like, why is it successful? Because I thought it was successful because it was because it was funny. And somebody that knew me really well put their hand on my heart and said, because it's about you. Wow. So I thought um, that was really revealing, and it changed my the way I approach storytelling. It made me feel like I have to constantly just inform myself, con- you know, with information, bombard myself with information of all types of information, but really rely upon informed intuition, the truth of that, that intuition, to birth ideas for movies or television shows. Mm. And just definitely don't prognosticate what something, some new trend, or don't prognosticate what, what the audience, I don't ever go like, well, the audience will feel this, or I know the audience will do, I don't know the audience will do anything, but I do know how I will feel. Right. If I'm focused on the, if I have clarity on how I feel and what I think and my truths and my authenticity, I try to represent that. And that becomes the sort of metric for what I think is funny or real or emotional or has feeling. And uh, so that trust is the thing that sort of, that's my compass to everything. To all the things you work on from books to movies to any project. Yeah. I mean, these books are the two books. This one, Face to Face, The Art of Human Connection, is the second book to my first one, which was, um, you know, lived in the same space, but it was called A Curious Mind, The Secret to a Bigger Life. But they're both just basically about what I do for in my life itself. Right. You know, right. I, I execute with deliberation, militaristic de- deliberation. Right. I go out and meet a new person every week for 35 years. Really, and then I learn a lot from it, and and I have faith that I don't ask for anything. You can't have an ambition for. I'm going to try to get some secret thing from somebody, or I met Jeff Bezos 18 years ago. Reed Hastings, 17 or 18, who created wow. Netflix, and but so I don't think I don't I don't go with a ask. You just go with a curious mind to just, learn. Yeah, just be pure about it. And good things usually come out of it. Yeah. Some insight that we valuable to the to the next thing you're doing. Sure. Or to a life choice. I've been doing that for about 11 years now. And for the past seven years, I decided to... Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's gotta be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. So listen, we all know life is full of yada yada, like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print. And I know you've dealt with yada yada before, like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all. Or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else. And yes, it is possible to outsmart yada yada, like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is already 
already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. When you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. Like when you're trying to buy tickets for the best seat at your favorite team's big game or when you're hiring for your business and you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. With ZipRecruiter, you can find qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com greatness. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I believe finding the right team member is one of the most important steps in setting up my company for success. We like to ensure our new hires will be a good fit before they're even on the team. So I am grateful that I have ZipRecruiter's help when we want to grow the team fast. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. I start recording them and, and do the, the podcast and it's been powerful for me, but also powerful to share this wisdom with, with an audience, which has been a lot of fun. To not just get it for me only, but to continue to share it to others. You said 8 Mile was another movie where you learned the most about yourself. What did you learn in that movie about yourself? That identifying all of the things that you're afraid of, all of your weaknesses, that are, that are usually, your weaknesses, the things you are afraid of are usually kind of birthed out of the earliest part of your life that become kind of traumatic. And they live like somewhere in your subconscious or primitive brain. And those are the things that make you scared when you walk into a party or do public speaking or, or afraid of love or afraid of intimacy or whatever your things are or afraid of the way you grew up because you didn't grow up from a fancy family in the case of Eminem. He grew up in a white trash trailer park. So when Eminem, it's not just succeeding at the rap battle, it's what happens after the rap battle, where he says, yeah, I am white trash. Yeah, you did fuck my girl. And he, and he addresses those things that are embarrassing to him, those that cause him shame. But he liberates himself, and that's powerful. He's not become, he's no longer, he's not hiding behind some mm-hmm. thing that he thinks he's embarrassed of. Mm-hmm. He says to the rich kid that's good looking rich black kid, he says, you went to that good school and I didn't, but a version of like, fuck you. Right, right. I'm yeah. still better than you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And what did you learn about yourself personally from that? Did you, were you holding on to shame or embarrassment in your personal life that you hadn't let go of yet? I didn't have a specific thing, but you definitely, we all have them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's yours? Biggest embarrassment or shame? Yeah, what is yours? What, what, are, well, you my, sit, what are you sitting on that don't you don't talk about or you now are willing to talk about? Well, I used, I used to be very shameful of being sexually abused as a kid. And then I opened up about it about five, six years ago oh. uh, for the first time in 25 years to some friends, family members. And, yeah. then, and then I started actually sharing more publicly on my podcast, I wrote a book about masculine vulnerability and the power of being vulnerable as a man and how it brings us closer together as human beings when we share those things that we're ashamed of. 
So that was something that I was ashamed of for a, a long time. That created How a lot old of, were you? It's five, yeah. Who did it? The babysitter's son was about a 16-year-old boy. And how did he do it or what happened? Well, he kind of tricked me. He kind of tricked me. I was uh, at the babysitter's house and he was playing video games and I wanted to play video games. And he said, you've got to do something for me first if you want to play games. And he took me in the bathroom and that's when it happened. Ooh. Did you know it was wrong? I remember, I mean, I was five, so I didn't really know what was going on, but I knew it wasn't right. Mm-hmm. I knew it wasn't right, but I wasn't really Something sure. Something weird, but you didn't realize Something very weird. how serious the violation was. Didn't realize, and didn't realize how it actually shaped me in a lot of ways. I mean, that plus a number of other, I guess, traumatic experiences shaped. That are in that same category? Um, different stuff. My brother went to prison for four and a half years when I was eight. Wow. I was in kind of the special needs classes all through elementary school, middle school, high school, college. I had a second grade reading level in eighth grade. So I just kind of always felt picked on, made fun of for my ability in school. Yeah. Were you big at that time like you are now? I became bigger when I hit like 12 than I was almost this tall, but I was very skinny, so I was goofy looking mm. and oh. awkward and had a lot of acne and you mm. know, was awkward in class. What city is that? I was in Delaware, Ohio, small town in Ohio. Oh. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So the, when I started to finally open up about it is when I felt a lot of fear and terror, but then eventually more and more I felt like as people started to accept me, I started to feel a peace mm. when I started to share that shame. So that was something that I held on to for a long time. It was scary. Yeah, that would be. I didn't have anything like that. But I think men uh, in general or at least from my perspective, there wasn't like a place to talk about it growing up as a kid. Yeah, of you course. know, in the school, they never said, "Hey, if someone ever does this to you, like, here's what you do." Yeah, my parents never really talked about it, so I never really knew it was safe to talk about it. Yeah, so not not making an excuse, I just had no clue how to really process it. And it wasn't until later in my life where I was like, "I need to figure out what's holding me back emotionally." I still felt this sense of anger or resentment towards something, and I didn't know what it was. Mm. And so I started going down a journey of self-discovery with that. So, mm. yeah. Wow. Is there anything, anything you're holding on to still? No. Not that I can think. Um, well, probably. But not really. Nothing that's fun. Not fun. Nothing hooky. <laughs> hooky. That wasn't fun. But Just it's because not, it's hooky doesn't mean it, it's not valuable. Yeah. Well, I just grew up in a very chaotic, kind of terrorizing household. Were you the youngest or? No, the oldest. Oh. But they fought, my parents fought every day. Same here. About Stressful. like, we're getting divorced, we're screaming, it was always screaming Slamming at each other. Slamming doors, all that. All that stuff was constant and it always yeah. went on late at night. So, so my dad was a criminal lawyer and you try to live the life of a criminal when you're a criminal lawyer. Hard to go to sleep at night probably. It's hard to go to sleep, and he drank a lot and smoked a lot and caught the house on fire, and smoke seeped into my bedroom, and a terror that scared everybody in the house because the house was burnt down. And it was like sort of endless stuff like that. It's like a constant trauma. Yeah. Like, yeah. Everyday little trauma. But I wasn't abused, you know, in a conventional way. It was just that. Yeah, just emotional. Just ongoing. Just emotional. State and scary of uncertainty. Yeah, that's abuse. Unsafe. 
It's a sense of abuse, yeah, right? It is. It's sort of a, it is a sense of abuse. Who was more influential in your life growing up, your mom or your dad? My grandmother. <laughs> what was the greatest lesson she taught you? Think big, be big. Really? She was a, she's Jewish. My dad was, well, okay, my mom's Jewish. My dad was Catholic. The grandmother's Jewish. Sure. She was one of those classic Jewish grandmothers that are like f- significantly under five feet tall. Um, and, but really tough, you know, really like, think big, be big. You're going all the way, you know. Um, she had all these adages. Uh, got a, got any problems? Wash it down with a bowl of chicken soup. <laughs> I mean, she had uh, endless things like that. Actually, when I wrote Splash and created this funny, the funny brother that was later played by John Candy, I gave all the Jewish those Jewish things, isms, that my grandmother used to say, you got a gift for gab, all those things. I gave them to John Cab, uh, John Candy. Yeah. So I gave all the Jewish funny stuff to the, they, my grandmother called the goys. That's the Catholics. Yeah. So the Jewish words with the goys. And I found, by the way, because I wrote and produced comedies for 17 years, only comedies. Wow. You know, uh, Night Shift, Splash, Parenthood, House Sitter, Liar Liar, Nutty Professor, One and Two, uh, Kindergarten Cop. I could just name, well, I'm, I'm no one, Life, a bunch of movies with Eddie Murphy. Uh, what I learned for sure that the ingredients are always counterpoint. The Jewish words with Tom Hanks, the Jewish words with Steve Martin. Jewish with John Candy, Jewish with Eddie, Jew- always that. No Jew on Jew. Really? No Catholic on Catholic. So I'm not against anybody here. I love everybody. Sure, sure. But it's just that that was the way to go. Why did that work? Well, why do you think it worked? <laughs> right? Not sure. Well, Jewish, Jewish writers are funnier than the other guys. Right, right, right. They're just funnier. They're, Jews are funny guys, people. Sure, sure. They feel tortured. They're in pain. <laughs> they got all those words for, you know, um, for, what's the word? Famish. They got these words. Sure, sure. I don't even know them. My grandmother spoke them. She spoke Yiddish. Uh, not Hebrew, but Yiddish. And you'd get all that stuff. And she called me, which... Uh, Shana Kindle up. Like, she could be the baby, you know, like that kind of stuff. All that stuff. It was very sweet. Yeah. But when I was getting straight Fs on my report card in elementary school because I couldn't read a word, not even a word, similarly to you, uh, she'd look over the report card, see the straight Fs, and go, you're going all the way. Wow. And I'd go, Grandma, there's like no evidence that suggests that, (laughs) you know? like, And so... um, but I, you know, things worked because yeah. I employed the skill of curiosity. Actually, I should bring this up. The both books, and particularly Face to Face, has all these techniques, these micro techniques to succeed, to connect with people, to evangelize um, your startup, or in my case, a, a story, or, you know, you have to connect to people's hearts to give the, where they're going to give you hundreds of millions of dollars, right. which I'm ask, asking for. Some of my movies cost, you know, well over a hundred million dollars. So you, Please. and it's an idea. So you have to evangelize 
your idea and mission. You have to, and to do that, you have to look at people. You can't be looking at your phone. Right. You can't be, you can't fractionalize your attention at all. People have to feel your sincerity. They have to feel your heart. They have to be captivated by you in a real way. And the way to do that is you have to actually look at them. The, the whole book is basically, I mean, one aspect of the book is just that face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball connection is the Wi-Fi to human connection. Mm. It's the Wi-Fi to human connection. Yes. Then you're on Wi-Fi. Then you can really move. Speed. Yeah, then you can communicate. Then they're in with you and you're in with them. And they don't like your idea or they do like your idea, but at least you're expressing it with clarity and authenticity and with heart. Why do so many people, why are they afraid to look look in the eyes with someone? A lot of people are just, you go to an event, I'm assuming here in Hollywood, you see it all the time where someone just looks at you for a second and they're always looking around. Why do people not have the ability or the skill set to just connect? and stare, not stare in a weird, creepy way, but to really look at someone's eyes. Well, currently this moment, where they're just losing the habit. I mean, people, it's hard for people to look people right in the eyes anyway. Mm-hmm. Probably if you split the population in half. Half people can, half people can't. Now, because of smartphones, and our addiction to social media and smartphones, every social media site is gamified. It makes you want to be on that game every second. I want to be. So I discipline myself. Actually, I'm already making a mistake. I, I never use my look at my phone, you know, when I'm with somebody, but you shouldn't even have your phone out because as you know, just the basic physics of that, uh, yeah, it's living some, it's eating up energy. It's mm-hmm. occupying energy in your being, in your brain, seeing the phone because you have to exercise some discipline. And if you think you're not, you are. Right, <laughs> anyway, right, right. so... So there is no condition that it's not occupying some space and deflecting your communication. Mm-hmm. Um, so why do people do it? They do it for multiple reasons, but that is the biggest reason yeah. is that the phones are just, they, there's so much going on on your phone. Your whole life is on the phone. But you're not, when you're not looking at people and you're not connecting with people and you're not reaching out to them, you're not going to get, you're, you're going to lose insights. You're going to lose moments. You're... Not we're living in a culture where it's kind of symptomatic to not have empathy now. I mean, like young kids, I have young kids, and you, you're young yourself. But like kids, just date they they date, then they ghost the chick or they ghost the guy. It's like they don't even care to say bye. Mm-hmm. You know, but there's way worse than that, of course. You know, it's just like no one is really thinking about. Seldom are people really thinking about your feelings, and they're probably not even thinking about their feelings. Mm, what are they thinking about? They're thinking about their phone and their, so it's their, how many likes they got on their Instagram. And, yeah. and I care about it too, but I don't want it to overpower human connection. It's obsessed, yeah. Well, because it's not getting me anywhere, really. Right. I do these fun videos of breakfast my burritos, eating yeah. breakfast burritos. I love breakfast burritos. <laughs> me too. So good. I have all my little food videos and... I mean, that was in, like most of the things I, that I start doing, they're accidents. I did one and my kids go, oh, that's so funny, Dad. And I thought, oh, really, it's yeah. funny. So I just keep doing them right, right. until they're not funny. Right. <laughs> you said maybe there's half the people that are good at looking in the eye, half the people maybe aren't, and then less now because everyone's on their phone. For the people who 
say they don't have phones, but they aren't good at looking people in the eyes, what do you think it is that holds them back from that face-to-face -face connection? Is it their own insecurities? Is it shame? Is it a lack of confidence? Is it skill? What do you think it is? Well, those would be sort of all, I can only pick like a surface reason because I'm not, you know, I'm not equipped to diagnose right, that. Right. But probably some some form of insecurity mm -hmm. or or lack of confidence that you matter and that it would matter for you to look at someone. Mm. In other words, when I look at you, I'm telling you, that's like saying you're I see you as a human being. You matter. Mm -hmm. But if you don't feel it yourself, have the confidence to feel it, you're not gonna look at you. Ah. So if I don't feel really confident, like that even really means anything, then I'm not gonna choose to do it because I don't put it very high on the, the on a value system. Wow. You might think a good handshake is plenty, or you might think um, if I'm really smart or you know, there was a moment that I thought I was so smart, you know, and, and uh, I guess I did look at people in the eyes, but I was, there was a moment and it was, I think, in, I forget which, my first or second book, one of them, but where I was working with Lola Bablu and Ron Howard and Ron Howard said, uh, you know, you don't look at the guys when we're doing the story meetings. Mm. And I said, well, I, I thought I did. He said, no, no, you really don't. And... Um, I said, but I've getting, I've got all the answers. I mean, I'm like right there with you guys. He said, yeah, but it makes them feel bad. Wow. Just the simplicity of that was had a gravitational force that made me change. Huh. Did you always have a sense of confidence in yourself or belief in yourself? No. When did you learn how to have confidence and belief in yourself? When, when I started, my first win in life basically was there was a bully in my elementary school, Riverside Drive Elementary School, which I'm going to be like three blocks from sure. later today to watch my kid play at Notre Dame High School football. So I'm uh, Patrick, his name is. Uh, shout out the to bully, Patrick. The bully? Or no, Patrick's my kid <laughs> playing at Notre Dame. No, the bully was um, Richard Gaynor. Oh. Richard Gaynor was three years older than me, and uh, he just beat everybody up all the time. He'd pick somebody to beat up. But he never really picked on me, but then one day he decided to. It was, it's so classic. I was at the jungle gym. <laughs> it was our little jungle gym that had a padding under the jungle gym, and he threw me down, and I somehow like came alive and got him in a headlock and got on top of him and started beating the shit out no of him. Way. Yeah. And it changed my whole life because I didn't know I, I could, I was a good wrestler, you know. I, there's a few things that I was just inherently good at, but I didn't think of them as superpowers at all. You know, I didn't, um, whereas like I think my skill and curious, you know, I am curious and I think it is a superpower. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I think I've honed it to become a superpower that gives me a competitive advantage over others. But, but going back to Richard Gaynor and beating him up, I, I, all of a sudden I'm on top of him and I'm realizing, wow, this is amazing. I'm beating up the bully. And you had just, this realization. Yeah, right? I was just like totally doing kicking it. this guy's I'm, ass. Yeah. And, all, and also there was a, a chorus of kids around me going, going yay, you know, like just little kids. <laughs> cheering section. Cheering section. They'd all been beaten up or bullied by him or certainly intimidated by Richard Gaynor. Right. And uh, actually Richard Gaynor kind of was mean to my sister, Nora, in fact, once. But he, he didn't hit her, but he like 
really disrespectful. And nonetheless, and I beat him up. And then I became like Robin Hood in the school. Like he was scared of me. There was no more bullies. You were the hero. I was the kind of the hero of the elementary school. Like, no, there was, it was like, you know, I'm the law of the land now. Kind of. <laughs> the mayor. I didn't guy. say that, sure. but it was kind of like I was the. You I was going to chest a little more. You had. You I just taller. felt like I wanted something, and people were like res- extremely respectful. Like, hey man, how are you? You know, <laughs> like, like the little eight-year-old. Yeah. yeah. What's up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that, that was good. That was the start of your self. That was the start of self-confidence, and then I had this very fa- this fascinating moment when I went out, I went out for high school football at Chatsworth High School because I was. Also, like Patrick, my young 16-year-old, I was a really tough kid. I mean, because I was able to win that fight. That gave me a lot of confidence. And I learned to, I really learned to fight. I became a pretty good martial artist, actually, Mm. in high school. All my friends, I had a group of five or six guys, but they all, like you, popped well above six feet. Mm -hmm. I mean, one guy was named Chris Parkinson. He went to, we called him Gramps. He went to 6'5". Uh-huh. Richard Cox was 6'3". He became the quarterback and the pitcher. You know, I mean, he was that guy. Yeah. He was everything. Perry Shellmeyer was the cool guy. He went to 6'2". He was the wide receiver. Mm-hmm. You know, there was, anyway, so the point is, they all got really big. And, and I stayed at five, jeez. I mean, I was like 5'5", five, five, but popped to... Five, five, eight, but based, but that wasn't six, two. Right. Anyway, I went out for football. Now I do, I do the Hell Week, which I hate, just hated Hell Week in the San Fernando Valley. Three days, three days yeah. It's five days. No, no it's five no. days a week. No, but I- One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host when you get a new car or a new home your first reaction might be to say things like oh yeah or i can't believe it or booyah but what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need like a good neighbor state farm is there state farm is there with the coverage you need for your car your home and even boats motorcycles rvs and other things that matter to you with a state farm agent you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need with so many coverage options it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you and when you need ways to get help state farm gives you options there too in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Three a day. Three, three oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Day. Sorry, I'm sorry. Yes, because you play football. So, yeah. yeah. But so, it's miserable. So, yeah, hot. so it's terrible. It's really hot out in the San Fernando Valley. I'm doing Hell Week. I get through it. Now we're all supposed to go to the auditorium. Everybody in Chatsworth High, all, all the uh, football players. So you had freshmen, sophomore, juniors, seniors. The whole auditorium is filled with like 200 of these kids that got through Hell Week. And so Coach Ogawa is right there. And Coach Ogawa says, okay, 
Name and status. I wasn't sure what he meant, but then there were people that preceded me. Perry Shellmeyer, wide receiver. Richard Cox, quarterback. Tony Cuvalier, wide receiver. Brian Grazer, tailback. Incorrect, he says. Screams in front of everybody. He goes, says, incorrect. He looks at me in the eyes and goes, cut. So he cut me in front of 200 kids. What? So I thought, wow, that was really brutal. And it was super embarrassing, like super, super, super embarrassing. And I I really examined that moment. I brought it down to like, I was once a human being. And then it got to me, I was no longer a human being anymore. I was out of, uh, I'm out of the the room. Yeah. And so it actually gave me that, I was able to like isolate the micro moments of that and, and transported that feeling into what became the movie Friday Night Lights in the series. Because I could have made those movies, the movie and TV show, about small town living, or I could have made it solely about football, but really it was focused on kids' identities and how Mm. they get formed. Wow. So that was the primary focus, and when directors didn't want to do that, I would ding them out. I mean, nicely, I'd just go like, I don't think so, you know? But, because a lot of guys just wanted to relive their high school career, but... When people were, so when Pete Berg came along, he was sensitive to the thing I was sensitive wow. to, like these imperceptible moments that become seismic to that one kid and forming their identity. And so that became the essence of, of what Friday Night Lights was, the movie and the TV show, and that's why it exists. Um, and so, so I get fired, I get, they kick me off the football team in front of everybody's embarrassing. And I don't know what to do. I go out for track, and I can only do one thing, but I do it well. I can sprint uh, and do a 100-yard dash. What was your best time? Do you remember? I don't remember. But, but then I, what happened, more importantly, what happened to me was, um, well, being under 10 seconds then was good. So I was under 10 seconds, okay? Wow. I don't know. Do I'm sure you have a time. I, I was 11.3. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. 100 meters? Yeah. Oh, this was 100 yards. Oh, okay, different. Gotcha. Yes, it is different. Well, ten, I think I said, what, 10 more yards or something? Or... Yeah, but that makes it yeah, different. Yeah, okay, yeah. so anyway, so we were, yeah, we were on the yards, not on the metric right, system. Right, right. Uh, but the, like, the, you know, the private schools are a metric system. Gotcha. Here in, in L.A. district. There's 65 high schools in the Los Angeles City district. So wow. I then thought, well, I don't know. Yeah, I'm just feeling really bad about myself. So someone says, why don't you go out for swimming? It's really easy and you can get out of first period. So I go out for swimming. And to make a long story short, I'm not a very good swimmer. I'm just mostly goofing off. I'm sure. holding onto the side and stuff sure, and sure. bouncing around, <laughs> splashing. So we have a pre-meet at Granada Hills High School. And it's a LA City meet, but it's a pre-meet. And the coach Wiley says, Grazer, lane eight. So lane eight's the shittiest lane. Did you swim too or yeah, no? Okay, so you, two years of okay, so you know that the outside lanes are the yeah, shittiest because yeah. you know all the you know you get Fast all the water, two middle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, all the water slopping into your mouth and everything from all the anyway waves are coming waves, over there. The whole thing. So I go in lane eight uh, to swim a hundred yard butterfly, mm, that's which hard. I hadn't done. That's hard. You're freaking. But I watch it. Yeah. And the point, and, and I go, I swim this 100-yard butterfly, and I, I look behind me right before I touch down. And Wiley's there with his stopwatch, and I look behind me, I don't see anybody. I'm thinking, everyone's out of the pool. This is, again, embarrassing. Well, what happened was I beat everybody 
I couldn't see them. They're so far behind you? Yes. Wow. So I know it's very, it's actually very emotional to me because it was, wow. it's palpable. So I ended up breaking the LA city record. What? That moment. The first time you tried the it? The first time I tried it. And I know. <laughs> Your machine. So it was just, a, I just had this weird knack. And as you know, the butterfly, you, you either have that or you don't. So hard, yeah. And if you have it, you can get better at it and, or, or not. But I mean, if you, it's just, a, it's, it's, your body has to contort like that. And my body naturally contorted like that when I threw myself into the water. Wow. And I was really like a machine. I was really good at it. And I broke the city record right that moment. And, you know. And How old were you? I guess 16. So you had a moment where you thought to yourself, wow, this is really embarrassing because everyone's already out of the pool. I'm yeah. that slow. But then. I popped out. And you're like, well, I'm the man. I was. You're like, actually, now I have a lot of confidence in myself. Yeah. Wow. So it was really amazing. And so, and then I got a nickname immediately that morning. What was that? It was just like, where's the great, great, the great grazer going? That's a good name. Everybody would just go like, where's the great grazer? Because I was like the, the famous kid in the Chesterworth High now. Wow. It was, just, it was a school, it was a record. big school, it was like 2,000 kids. That's a big deal. Hey, great. I actually, I'm just thinking on your own show, I had a nickname at USC too. What was that? Nicknames are great. They yes, propel you. They do. My nickname at USC, and I got it very quickly, was 26. Because I took 26 units my first semester because I had to catch up. So I, I didn't think I was doing something phenomenal. I mean, it was hard because you're supposed to take- 15 you know, or something. Well, right you should take 12 or 14, Yeah, yeah. as I remember. Or 12 wow. or 16, I'm sorry. So you were doubling up. So I was kind of doubling up, but I didn't realize. And so what happened is, Lin, this is the day, the, the, the superstar athlete, wide receiver, Lynn Swan. At USC. At USC, who, you know, won the Super Bowl as a, uh, playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers, I think twice. <laughs> He's amazing. We, we knew each other um, independent of school. We were both extras in, wow. on a TV show called Room 222. And my cousin Fran, who's still my... I love my cousin Fran, who's just a year older than me. She said, you can work on Room 222 and make some money, Brian. I go, great, I'd love that. Right. So now I was on Room 222 with three of the biggest superstars at USC, Pat Hayden, John McKay, and Lynn Swan. So now I'm at USC and Lynn learns, he goes, hey, Grazer. And I, I can't even believe he's a football player. He's not that big, he's like 5'11". And um, anyway, the point is, I, I start telling him, I, I go at 26, and he goes, oh, 26! And he tells someone who tells someone who tells someone, every day I walk past Tommy Trojan or in the thing, hey, there's 26, hey, 26! So I had this nickname, which got me a long way. Like, it made me popular. Really? Yeah, because I played with it. I, I you know, it ignited my personality. And so at Chasworth High, I had a nickname, and then... Uh, the, the irony was is then I won, you know, again, I won the city record. I played right here at Beverly Hills. I swam right here at Beverly Hills right, High, right, back here, right yeah. that way. Yeah. And then the coach, oddly, Coach Ogawa was asked to speak to me because he was like the head coach, but not of swimming. They wanted me to win the state championship. And in order to do that, they thought I, I should shave my body and head again. Jeez. Because I shaved my head and body, you know, early, early on. Then he says, uh, Brian, hey, uh, 
God, well, you're a good kid, man. You're, you know, he schmoozed me up. And I thought, like, fuck you, <laughs> you know? And, and uh, but I didn't say that, of course. Right, he's, right, right. he's the head coach. And, sure, sure. And I'm respectful to people. I, I just thought it, you know, yeah. like, and he tried, he lobbied me to shave my head again. Did you do it? No. No. I still swam really well. I didn't win the state championship, but I swam really well. I, I wasn't going to shave my head for yeah. When did- <laughs> I didn't. Also, girls didn't like the shaved head yeah. because even though I was the great grazer, I remember one hot girl like go, Karen Flair goes, hey, <laughs> she said to me like, hey, Baldy. <laughs> I go, I go, Baldy. I thought, oh my God. That's not a good nickname. It wasn't, that wasn't a good nickname. No, no, the great grazer yeah. is Baldy. So I alluded that, you know, I wasn't going to go back to that. <laughs> uh, I wanted Karen Flair's attention. <laughs> and so, um, Anyway, and then in the, oddly, as I'm sitting here talking to you, this is actually kind of fun for me now. Sure, um, sure. When I started my career, I was a law clerk, and then I went, I was a law clerk at Warner Brothers. It was only supposed to be a summer job. I decided not to go to law school. I stayed for a year and a half. Then they fired me. I thought I was a genius because I did curiosity conversations then every day. Mm, And I became pretty smart. Within the company or? Everywhere. I used the company, Warner Brothers. I used the Warner Brothers thing. To meet people. To meet people. I'd say, hey, my name is Brian Grazer. I work at Warner Brothers Business Affairs. This is not associated with studio business. And I do not want a job from your boss. Mm. And I worked that so hard. And every day, someone, every day, everybody said yes. Wow. I mean, they didn't say yes that day, but it was, became a rotation system I could get. Anyway, bottom line is they eventually just fired me for misallocation of Warner Brothers assets. And wow. so that made sense. I was like 23 and a half. And then I thought I learned I should write to survive. So I started writing. And I wrote a bunch of ideas. And I met the woman that became my mentor. She was the most powerful woman in show business. Her name was Deanne Barkley. And Deanne Barkley ran all of NBC Entertainment. Mm. And I went in to pitch her two of my ideas at 24. And she had a, she smoked pot every day. And she, she made her office like a New Orleans style office because she was like the queen of show business. Sure, sure. She could do what she wanted and she was New Orleans girl. Wow. And so she has a Southern office and in the Southern office is a bird cage behind her with two, with a, a par- two parakeets. Speaking. No, they weren't speaking, just two little pair of birds. Right. <laughs> and I pitched these ideas and it goes great. She loves them. And all of a sudden there's like a, Thump. One of the birds had a f***ing heart attack <laughs> no and way. died. Right then. It, right then, as I was leaving, like as she was basically no saying way. yes. Was that a sign bird. that to not to do the idea? Or? Well, I thought it could be, but she started laughing hysterically. First, she was like in shock. And then she didn't know what her emotions were. were and she started laughing. <laughs> well, she was smoking weed all day too. So anyway, so she starts laughing. And then she goes, this is kismet. And she said, I want to be your mentor as well. So she bought my two ideas and she became my no mentor. No way. Yeah. And she decided, well, first of all, buying these two ideas from NBC was a very good thing because I could barter them to get an office and everything from actually, uh-huh. ironically, Warner Brothers again, mm. Warner Brothers TV. But she did say, you need a nickname. You need a nickname. And I said, well, why? She goes, look at Swifty Lazar, the most famous guy in show business, Swifty. 
Do you know who that is or no? No. I'm, he was the most famous. He was an agent. Okay. He was the most famous, but he was the, he had a nickname, Swifty Lazar, and he was known as Swifty because he got these deals. He could make them happen fast, Swifty. Mm. So he got a nickname, and there was a few other nickname people. And she said, you got to do it. And she gave me a couple nicknames, which I'm not going to share. Don't even ask. And I said, I, they I weren't not, baldy, right? No, they weren't baldy. That's funny. No, they were kind of equally as <laughs> not unflattering. As <laughs> and so um, I said, no, I'm not doing an idea. I'm not doing the, those nicknames, no. So I banned the idea of a nickname. So you didn't have a nickname. I had no nickname. What about but, the great? No, 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 no. I didn't have any nicknames. And then I started to become successful. I made Splash and I made some other hits. And then I started to sort of be one of those, you know, big Hollywood producers. Like, well, hit the actor. Yeah, maker. it was a hit maker. Yeah. But in comedy, and there was also those action hit makers with, you know, the beards and throwing stuff and bad tempers. And I thought, and they're well known because they have bad tempers. I didn't have a bad temper, so I couldn't, and I tried it, and I couldn't grow a beard actually either. I, I thought about that. And then or some one day, cool mustache. I can't grow a mustache. That would be cool. No, no, no. I don't look. <laughs> uh, and then by accident, I pop my hair up. Oh. And but much higher than it is here. Actually, if you look at that previous Instagram thing with me and Russell Crowe from yeah, Beautiful Mind, my spiked. hair is pretty spiked up. I didn't realize it was so crazy. But the point is, my daughter liked it. We were in a swimming pool. I popped it up. She goes, "Do it that way, Dad." Sage. And who's now a psychotherapist in the city of Los Angeles. Wow. Sage Grazer. Yeah. Probably Shout out. Yeah, yeah. Of, she's she a lot is of work. Busy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she's got a lot of work in this city. Yeah. <laughs> she flooding over with work. Uh, so she said, keep it up. I like it. She liked it, and I thought, I'm going to do it. It was kind of, and that became kind of a signature thing. So it wasn't a nickname. It wasn't, I couldn't grow it was hair a, on my face, but I could grow it on my head. It was, so. a, it was a look. It was a, an image. It wasn't yeah, it was a, like the, my, my way signature. of yeah. finding a signature. That's cool. Accidenting. And Did you ever get a nickname over the last 20 plus years? No, no nickname. I, I try to live a, I mean, I live a really good life, but I, yeah. I try to, in order to survive in this uh it's like, uh, you know, it's like platoon, you know, mm-hmm. here. It's like living in a war zone here in Los Angeles. What's, what's the, uh, some of the greatest lessons you've learned of just being in be humble. Hollywood be humble. show business? Yeah. Don't be a show off, speaking of show. I mean, you have to promote yourself. Like I'm promoting myself by being on your show. I'm promoting my book because I want people to buy the book because I think it's really a helpful tool and I know it works. I know that if I can do it with the straight Fs. Right. And only to one person, Grandma Sonia, I know that it could work for anybody. Yeah. I know any. I, I know these techniques will will 100% work. Yeah. Or your money back, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so um, anyway, so Hollywood. Uh, well, I guess my secret. Well, I think the trick, the 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 secrets or techniques would be in this book. Quite frankly, you do have to look at people. You have to be present. Be present. The other thing that you really have to be, which I don't, I, I, I say it in certain, you have to be interesting. Mm, you have to be interesting? Interesting. You have to be interested, of course, but more importantly, you have to be interesting. How do you become interesting if you're not? <laughs> Get out of this. <laughs> I always say. You have to be interesting because you can't captivate people by just asking questions. Right, right. That's dopey. 
I mean, <laughs> no, when people just like, go, I want to meet you, and they just ask questions, I go, no, it's not going to, it's a conversation. Right, right. We're hanging out. We're right. knowing each other. We're sharing. We're building to our best date. Collaborating together. Yeah. It's like, I'm not going to just like sit and, I mean, I'm on your show right now, but I, but I, I wouldn't normally do that. You mm. know, I... I want other people to talk. Yeah. I want people to be, people have to be interesting. Writers, you have to, when I'm high, well, I'm in the story business. So mm -hmm. if a writer's not interesting, it's, it's boring, scary yeah. a little bit, you know? Or if they're not, if they don't say one interesting thing or, or they don't have one original article of clothing on, you know, like if no choice is original, I don't do it. Mm -hmm. When directors, by the way, I had this early thing at 25, during Splash, because I had many directors that preceded Ron. And um, any director that is too concerned with how they look, meaning they dress really impeccably, I don't hire them. The director's job is to be the ultimate emp empathist. Mm. The director's job is to think about how everybody else feels and how everybody else looks. And if they're self-consumed mm. with how they look, mm. it scares me. Wow, that's good. It's not a thousand percent true, or you know, there's exceptions, of course. And sure. but it's just a you know, it's an easy, convenient metric if you're yeah. busy. <laughs> What's the partnership with Ron been like for you? What changed when you started to partner with him more than having a lot of different people uh, working with before? Well, he's very compassionate. He's very easy to be with. Mm. He's, all of these characteristics, he embodies them all. He's very present. Mm -hmm. he he's not way, yeah. fidgety. He's not like with you. He's listening. Yeah. He's very unpretentious, but equally smart. He's incredibly smart. He has so much kind of cinematic wisdom hmm. because he was incredibly attentive to what was going on his whole life but you know he is an early actor you know playing working with john wayne and henry fonda and all these greats met jack lemon i might have worked with him i'm not sure i remember that but but he 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 was he asked questions and he was he's dialed in he's a dial and he's talented really special in that way Mm. And what actors that you worked with were, in your mind, who were the top two or three that you were just like, I can't believe what they're creating right now. They're so brilliant. They're so talented. That just wowed you. I have a lot. I've, I've, I, well, I don't want to exclude. I have so many. I, I, I don't know if I, I don't want to say the few. most, but a couple. I have Denzel Washington. Oh, he's amazing. Uh, Eddie Murphy is probably, he's just magical, Electric. really. He's a magical. He reads the script, by the way, one time. Never reads it again. What? He reads it, not just remembers it, but processes it. He knows exactly how he's going to play it from one reading. And it could be like six months ago. He remembers it? He remembers it more than remembers it. He's integrated he it. it yeah. yeah, he integrated it. He can wow. do it. Range Rover Sport leads by example. Picture this. 
assertive on-road performance meets commanding all-terrain capability. That's the third-generation Range Rover Sport, which is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet. This vehicle redefines sporting luxury, offering an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and effortless composure. Now available in sleek, new stealth pack, Carpathian gray exterior wrapped in satin protective film with black accents and black brake calipers. Inside the Range Rover Sport, advanced cabin technologies like active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offer new levels of comfort and refinement. And let's not forget about the award-winning Pivi Pro infotainment system. Enjoy a dynamic drive and total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Wow, that's like a spa day while on the go. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals, knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. He surprises people periodically because he's a classical pianist and it's beautiful. He's not Rachmaninoff, but he's amazing. Yeah. He's uh, amazing. And he, he, I love him. I respect him. I think he's magical as an artist and I, you know, love him. We still text each other and, you know, we still talk. You know, he spoke at my wedding, you know, like he's a, uh, I think he's a stand-up guy. Wow. So I love him. Tom Hanks, I think I've worked with eight times. That guy's brilliant. He delivers every single time. He is brilliant. Yeah, he's brilliant. He's got... And he just seems like a good guy. He is a good guy, but he's, he's an incredibly smart guy and doesn't show that off. Mm -hmm. I would put him, in terms of just overall intelligence... You know, like fielding, hitting, pitching. Yeah. He's that guy. Wow. He can do everything. He can pick the right things. He's got incredible intuition on choice, on learning, on public speaking, mm. um, what to say, what not to say, where to say it, what to do. You know, somebody said, uh, put him up to like, my partner, <laughs> Ron Howard says, run for president. You'll win. And, you know, I, he could, Bob, you know, he's probably could. Right. Uh, he's pretty amazing. He's, he's very smart and tough and buoyant, and he can do it all. He says to Ron, fuck you, you run. <laughs> Which I think is funny and appropriate. Sure, like, sure. He doesn't want to ruin his life. Right. He's got a good life. Yeah. What do you want to do that for? But we all started thinking, that'd be amazing, run, you and Oprah. <laughs> you know, he can do everything. And then, so I said, uh, uh, Denzel, Denzel, I mean, he's, he's just Denzel. He can, unbelievably intense, doesn't have to say a lot of words. He, you're always interested in what he's thinking, what he's going to do. You're captivated by him. Mm -hmm. Russell Crowe has that too, by the way. Really? Russell Crowe is very, like, you never want to say the most, but he's, he's so well-researched. Mm. So when we, any of the two movies or three movies I made with him actually, Beautiful Mind, Robin Hood, and American Gangster. 
he just he reads thousands of pages. He can ingest thousands of pages of information. On the character or the time. Everything, the all of that stuff and the environment, everything to do with it. So history. So he's pretty, he's very gifted. Steve Martin is, he, he, he's a, he make, he, he teaches himself mastery. The banjo. He didn't wake up in the morning and go like, I can play the banjo. He just made it happen. Wow. He's a brilliant art collector. He's an unbelievable writer. Wrote a couple novels that were very engaging. He wrote the script Boom, uh, Bowfinger for me, mm-hmm. sorry. I did Boomerang too. I produced <laughs> Boomerang with Eddie Murphy. But he did Bowfinger wow. with Eddie Murphy that Eddie Murphy was in, and he was the lead. They're both leads together. And uh, so he can do, and he's a comedian. I just saw him the other, I saw him two months ago at the, uh, that Aspen conference. Mm-hmm. He and Marty Short, they're hilarious. Wow. <laughs> I sat in the front row because I was at a table that was in the front, and I couldn't stop laughing. They're hilarious, yeah. They're just, both of them gifted. So... I've worked with really great people in my life, and I feel really lucky. There's some great women. I mean, I love Jodie Foster. I worked with her back to back. I, she, I had a role in a movie. The lead in this movie uh, was a guy. It was supposed to be a guy called Flight Plan. It was like Ransom in the Sky. I'd produced Ransom too with Mel Gibson, and I told the studio, I said, I'm going to make it a woman. It's going to make it. She's more powerful than any dude. Yeah. And impactful, you know what I mean, that way. And uh, they didn't like that idea, but I did it anyway. And made it Jodie Foster, and it was a huge hit, yeah. Flight Plan. And then she was in Inside Man, Spike Lee's Inside Man, with Denzel and Jodie and Clive Owen, and, and uh, we had some great actors in that. I've worked with really good actors. I feel really fortunate. Mm-hmm. I really think it's a lot of it's due. I, I, do, it, I think I have a competitive advantage by being... I hope interesting. (laughs) Well, I think they think this guy knows a lot about a lot of things. He's pretty resourceful. There's always foxholes when you make a movie or TV show. There's always a problem. Mm -hmm. A breakdown. And someone's got to get us out of that foxhole alive, and I'm I'm pretty good at that. The great grazer. He's pretty good at it. (laughs) I would say I'm the great grazer, but I would say I'm good at solving problems. I'm really good at solving creative puzzles. Yeah. You've had so much success with all these movies. What's something you're most proud of that most people maybe don't know about you? Well, some people know this. I'm a pretty good dad. Mm-hmm. I really, really, really care a lot. And I don't know if you can do much more than that. Yeah. So for once in a while, I do a little, I have to do tough love, which is really hard for me. Mm-hmm. But I know it's right. Yeah. I mean, I just know it's right. And uh, it's been great on my daughter Sage because mm-hmm. she had a jujitsu injury and I, I kept telling her you'll get through it and she she uh, she got through it much sooner than she would have normally because yeah. she was like really feeling bad about herself you know yeah. and then she just toughed it out and started doing went back to jujitsu one on one after she uh, had a very bad neck injury and she's like still She's tough. She stays on mm-hmm. it. She always had a really good work ethic. Anyway, I think I think Pete, because back to your question, I think I'm a good dad. Yeah. Could I be better? Sure. Could I be worse? Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but if, so I think I'm good. I care a lot. It means a lot to me, and I think they feel that I love a lot. And uh, so that. And then uh, it's very easy for me to be a good husband to Veronica because she's amazing. Yeah. That's powerful. 
I've got a hey. final question for hey. you. What? Make sure you guys get the book, Face to Face, The Art of Human Connection. Going to be powerful for you to help you have a competitive advantage in your <laughs> life, in your career, and everything. So make sure to check this out. Very powerful. This question is called The Three Truths. Okay, let's give it a shot. So, so it's not a question, it's three. It's, it's one question, oh, three, three, three responses. Oh boy, three, okay. Three responses. All right, so, fire it up. So imagine it's your last day on Earth, yeah. many years from now, and you've achieved all of your dreams. Yeah. But for whatever reason, you've got to take your entire body of work with you. All the movies you've made, all the books you've written, they've got to, they've got to go with you to the next world or wherever you go after you pass away. Okay. Uh, but you get to leave behind three things you know to be true about your life and all of the experiences you've had, the lessons you would leave behind to the rest of the world. If you could only choose three things to share with us, what would those three things be? Don't worry. Mm -hmm. Stop worrying. It, it's a huge waste of time. It, it doesn't improve results. Mm. Don't worry. Find your truth. Mm. That's your most valuable component. Is, is that locating your authentic self? Mm -hmm. Be in some way spiritual. Mm -hmm. It enriches your conscience, sense of conscience. Yeah. yeah. Powerful. Okay, those are the three. Thank thanks. you so much. All right, man. thanks. Appreciate you, Brian. That was a hard, a good, a good, fun, interesting, challenging question. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate right, it. For sure. I hope you enjoyed this interview. I'm so passionate about this topic, the art of human connection, really learning about what makes people think, how to really connect with people, how to help and serve people at a greater level. And when you learn about people, and when you learn about others and have compassion and understanding for their needs, not yours, but theirs, you can truly make an impact in their life. And when you make an impact in their life, you have a deeper bond and relationship and you can do magical things together with that bond and relationship. When you don't have a relationship, you're disconnected. You're unable to really move ideas forward together. I'm not talking about influencing someone so you get everything you want and they suffer. This is about doing things together, creating a collaborative experience and environment so all parties win together. All parties move their dreams forward and that's what this interview is all about. If you enjoyed this, do me a favor and message Brian on Instagram message Brian Grazer and share this with one friend. Text a friend today, lewishouse.com slash 868. You can copy and paste the, the link on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and send it to one friend today and say, hey, I was thinking about you. I, I know how much you're trying to grow right now. I really think this episode with Brian Grazer will inspire you to connect deeper in relationships and really take your career or your ideas or your business or your invention to a new height. So send this to them. Be a hero. Be a champion in a friend's life today. And reach out to someone new. You can message a friend who's been commenting on your social media and send them a direct message or a WhatsApp group message, Facebook group message, whatever it is. Reach out to someone new and build a relationship through this episode and with this interview. I think that'd be really powerful. Let me know what you think about it. I'm Lewis Howes on Instagram. You can message me there. You can put it in your Instagram stories and tag me and tag Brian. I, I like to reshare a lot of those. And as always, if this is your first time here, please subscribe to the School of Greatness on Apple podcast and leave us a review. I don't care if you leave a one star or five star review. I just want to hear from you. I want to hear how this impacted you. We like to share this with our internal team 
because our team works so hard to impact people in the world. And those reviews really mean a lot to us. And we like to share them with our community as well. So please leave a review over on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think. Click the subscribe button because every week we're bringing you some of the most inspirational leaders and figures in the world to reveal their secrets, stories, and open their heart to share with you exactly how they got to where they are. I'm so grateful for you. You have no idea how grateful I am that you take time to show up every single day to listen, to improve your mind, to go back to school in the way that I wish I had school growing up. I wish I would have had this type of information. That's why I created it because there was such a need for me. And I'm just so grateful that you continue to show up every single week to learn with me because I'm learning with you. You were born to do amazing things, but sometimes situations, experiences, people, environments limit us, hold us back to believing we aren't capable of doing those great things. And Martin Luther King Jr. said, whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of reality. We create our own reality, but sometimes other people's opinions, words, energy, lack of connection and human interaction affects us deeper and deeper and traumatizes over the years. And it's unfortunate, but it's our responsibility to notice it and consistently, consistently do the work to think about the things we say, think about the things we think about and the things we act on and make sure we're protecting our mind and standing portal at the door of thought as consistently as possible to reject any negativity that comes our way and lift ourselves with positive, loving energy because you are the light, my friend. You are born with a golden light that should radiate and be felt by the world. But it's your responsibility to make sure you take care of that inner light and let it shine. I love you so very much. I'm so grateful that you're here. I hope to see you very soon on the next episode of the School of Greatness podcast. And as always, you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. isn't just a place it's a state of mind like curling up in a comfy chair as you watch the world go by Good afternoon. which is why at delta our people do our best to make you feel at home long before you get there delta keep climbing coming back from an injury or any painful condition is not a do-it-yourself project Gaylord Physical Therapy in Cromwell, Cheshire, and North Haven has the technology and talent to help you get back to what you love. Whether it's taking a walk or running a marathon, Gaylord Physical Therapy in Cromwell, Cheshire, and North Haven can help you get back to your personal best. Gaylord, think possible. 
Also available in Madison and Wallingford. Go to Gaylord.org for more information. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Yeah, the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. And I've learned the hard way that constantly holding on to your emotions and repeatedly choosing to not talk about your feelings will only make you feel worse and worse. And up until about 10 or 11 years ago, I was afraid to talk about my trauma that I experienced. And I know we all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. But therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to fit your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Lewis today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash L-E-W-I-S.